I'm going to spend some time this morning talking about, about bringing our thoughts into obedience to Christ. I think probably in my 20s, I was thinking, well, I'm, I was brought up in a Christian home. I'm fairly mature as a Christian. I've got a little more to learn, and it'll all be good. And then you go a few more years, and you're going, well, I've got some handle on things, but there's quite a bit more to learn. And Some years after that, you go, I know a little bit. <laughs> there's a lot more to learn. And the season of life that I'm in right now, it's more a thing of recognizing that there are always things to be working on in the Lord. And I like that because it, it's part of relationship. It means there's always that need for interaction and for me to have dialogue with Him because there's always something that needs, in a sense, adjusting. And so it's not about just saying, okay, I'm going to get it, and then it's all settled, but rather to recognize with joy that there are always going to be things coming up. Um, recently, my devotional time has gone much different than it ever has in the rest of my life. Uh, for years, there was this massive amounts of reading of Scripture and, and locking into that and studying it, and, and in seasons, there's been huge blocks of prayer and, you know, and ordered, you know, where I'd have my lists that I'd be working through. Uh, what's taking place right now is that I'm often getting captivated with a phrase, and I may be chewing on that for months, which is completely different than any other phase of my life. But it's like the Lord has been taking it and said, okay, we're going to hone in on this, and we're going to keep going at it for a while. Um, early this spring, Shar and I started looking at, uh, at our weight because the insurance company said we were obese, and as much as we didn't like admitting that, uh, there it was on paper, and, and they were charging us for it, uh, which we didn't like that either. Um, and so we started saying, well, let's deal with this. And it was like the final straw where you don't want to admit what you're seeing in the mirror. You just say, you know, I see something different. And in that season, the Lord gave me a phrase, eat to live, not live to eat. I've heard it many, many times, but it honed in for me. And so virtually every meal that I entered into, how much do I need to live? Well, it, it vastly changed the way that I was approaching things. Uh, during that time, I remember Michael talking of people that he had visited, and uh, they were living on 600 calories a day in unheated houses. And in places, I'm going, I don't ever see myself doing that. But at the same time, there's almost an embarrassment in me at how much food I've been filtering through in my life just because I could or for the enjoyment of it, or for the comfort, or for, you know, all of that. That said, what I'm dealing with right now has much more significance than even what that phase did. Because I've been looking at this phrase, taking every thought and making it obedient to Christ. 
Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, my life is about taking everything that I think about, bringing that into submission to Christ and making it obedient to him. And I've been chewing on this for weeks and weeks already. Now, (laughs) I haven't preached for five weeks, so I hope you came for a while. Yeah. No, generally, the more I get to study, the the shorter things get. I'm a bullet point person. Um, But that said, I've had this season over those weeks of looking at this phrase, and initially I'd have to say, again, there's this embarrassment that says, my thoughts are so random and all over the place, and all through the day there are things going on that have no connection to Christ. And this has gone on for years, so is that even doable to pull this into obedience to him? As a kid, I, I spent a lot of the time alone, and, and in some ways, as a kid, you learn how to play act, or you, you play with things, and, and you develop other things out of that, right? So, like when Char wasn't going to have our kids have any toy guns in the home, They'd be running around with carrots, shooting each other, and they're going, and she suddenly realized, uh, these boys are not going to embrace this thought, at least at this stage of life. Um, But that said, there is that portion of us, very natural, to just kind of work things out in our dreams, in our thoughts, but... To bring that into obedience to Christ is a whole other phase because even as kids, we learned early on that you may control my outside activity, but what's going on in here, you really don't have much control over. So, uh, you know, even as the parent says, you will sit down, and the cartoon years ago was, I may be sitting here in the corner, but I'm standing up inside. You know, there's that thought of, you know, I can just take this and... You know, as long as it's not too overt on the outside, I can think about all kinds of things. You know, here I am in this classroom, I have my pencil, <laughs> but my, my, my thoughts are a million miles from here. And we grow up that way, and, and it continues through, through much of life. And yet, when I ran into this phrase, this time around, it's like, this guy was serious about this. That means all through the day, there was this bringing back of thought before the Lord. Now, I wanted to build some base for this. Um, let's go to the book of John and read a few of the passages, because John understood that Jesus was working under the Father's authority and the Father's will. And several times it comes out in his declarations. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I'm only doing what I've seen God do. I'm participating in his activities. John chapter 12 says, I've not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who has sent me himself has given me this command, what to say and what to speak. 
So he takes it a step further and he says, I am walking in obedience to the Father by the things that I say and do. I'm carrying out the activities that he's asked of me. So Jesus, while on earth, living the life that he lived, is declaring, I have an authority that's speaking into my life, and these are the activities that I'm carrying out. It's very similar to Paul's concept that I'm taking every thought and making it obedient to Christ. Moving on in John chapter 14. He says, you, I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is saying there is a benefit of obedience. As you walk according to my word and my commands, he says, you're doing what the Father's asked, so that in a sense, we're all one. Father's going to embrace you because You've embraced me and what I've called you to do, and I've embraced what he's called me to do. And so he says, we're all functioning together. And so this obedience to Christ is very important to us. And the expression of our love to God walks out in obedience to him. Later in that same passage, or same chapter, I do as the Father has commanded me that the world may know that I love the Father. John, in his writings, in that very next portion then, steps into, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, there's an attachment of our lives together. We don't function apart from each other. You won't carry out the work of God except that you're tied to me. He uses this illustration that you, you're not going to live a, a godly or spiritual life without this tie to me, this is the time of year in our garden where tomatoes fall off the, the vines. I'm not sure why, I, but we, we've learned this much. They're not going to grow any bigger once they're on the ground. So we pick them up and, you know, haul them home. You're not going to grow and develop except that you're tied into the vine. And, and so... Jesus is following through this thing of living in the commands of Christ into this illustration. And then in that same chapter, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So what Jesus was presenting and discussing and carrying across to us is that our walking in obedience to what he's called us to do is very important for that sense of being tied together. Now, Paul... Let's go back to this 10th chapter, and I'll, I'll give some setting for that passage. He's wrestling with some credibility issues among the people that he's writing, which seems weird to us since he wrote so much in the New Testament. How on earth could they challenge him? But they did, and regularly he was catching it. He says, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. That's, he says, that's what's being presented. You know, he, he writes these letters, and they're so weighty and powerful, but, you know, when he's here, he's not very impressive. And, and so they're making these, this talk, and, and it goes on and says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence. 
as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging wars as according to the flesh. He says, some say, how could you look at a person like that and take anything from them? Now, I'll remind you that this man had been beaten many times, and most likely there was nerve damage associated with that. He'd been stoned. Most likely he'd come out of that with fractures. They left him for dead. So his pieces, parts, weren't as put together as they had been years previous. Galatians, he's talking about writing with big letters. It appears that his eyesight was poor. And so some are looking at his flesh and going, there's nothing impressive about that. Why, why do you want to listen to a guy like that? And he's making a point and he's saying, it's not about the physical body. It's not about the flesh. He says, what I am participating in and what I'm bringing to you has a whole nother dimension. It says, for the weapons of our wherefore are not of the flesh, but of divine power to break and destroy strongholds. So what we're participating in, he says, it's not about the physical life. There's something more significant. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. <laughs> What's up there is a different translation, what I learned. And so I keep muddling the two. Uh, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being made ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So he is putting this out in a corporate context. That's the first setting. He says, you know, we deal with things at a corporate level. What I'm talking to you about is primarily personal, right? That there's the opportunity for us in the Lord to take even our thought life and bring that into submission to God and allow him to challenge the thoughts that we have. Now, here's the thing. Later in that chapter, you, you get this declaration. He says, I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So it's bad enough that he doesn't look great. Even his, his sermons, so to speak, apparently weren't all that much, which is crazy to us. But that's, or maybe his voice just didn't come across. Whatever, they're looking and saying, you're listening to that? When, when I first started looking at this phrase, there's a thought that goes, I have wasted a lot of thought through life. Do I even want to acknowledge that? I mean, that would mean opening up the doors to saying, there might be some regret over the amount of time I've spent into particular things. I've mentioned this before, but I never played basketball in high school. I swam. But after I got out of high school, I got into it. And... When you're practicing by yourself, you're always going through scenarios of what you would do in a game. 
and you play that through over and over and over. I spent hundreds of hours playing basketball, going through scenarios. And I'm looking back at it, and, well, exercise has a little gain. <laughs> That's the best that can be said for that whole venture. That's not the worst of things, but that's what I feel like sharing. <laughs> I've spent a lot of wasted time in a lot of areas. And to come back and say, but this is still something that's an opportunity for me. To step into making thought captive and obedient to Christ. The other, the, the other thought that soon follows on that is, if I truly live this out, is that going to be boring? I mean, if I start turning thought, I mean, a lot of what I do is for personal enjoyment. Even the declaration, the pleasures of sinner, but for a season, you know, it's the idea in the moment, sin has a lot of attractiveness. It's just the price of it and everything else that's a, a tied to it that we say, this is destructive. But when we look at living and making thought obedient to Christ, we're looking at an eternal perspective that says, even in this moment, might not much, be much fun right now. Might not be much pleasure in this moment if I'm truly going to start applying this to life. Do I even want to go down that road? And so realistically, we have to begin addressing issues like that. Is it enough for me to change? Oh, here's another one. Will I go unseen if I start living this way? It's like, you know, there are times when when you are with a group of people and, and individuals are just loud, they insist on the intention coming to themselves. And what if God starts addressing that and saying, I don't want you to be so loud. But they're going, well, who's going to look at me and notice me if I do that? I mean, my, my identity is tied into loud. Oh, really? Is it tied into me? You know, that... Or, or, like in my case, it was like, if I shut my mouth when somebody insults me, won't I be perceived as stupid? Or won't they dismiss me as being irrelevant? Or if, you know, if I don't have a comeback, or if I have it and I just squelch it, then I'm going to be frustrated. Is that worth it? Or do I, do I say that to be seen by God is enough in this moment? <laughs> you want to really apply this? I remind you that the Apostle Paul, before Christ got a hold of him, was the man, so to speak. He had letters that allowed him to go into communities, drag out Christians, and put them to death. So he had a following. He had honor, he had uh, authority, it wasn't the unimpressive, humble person that's asking for people to pay attention. He had the attention. 
Enough so that he's able to put, his word can put people to death. And so when he embraces the claims of Christ and he's writing these letters and he's going, please listen to me. What a transformation. And yet you're going, okay, he embraced it. Is that something I really want to embrace? Oh yeah, there was something else. Yeah, they said his letters were weighty. Hey, you think? We're still reading them almost 2,000 years later. So there was some attention that continued to go with it, and there was some benefit that continued to come out of what he had embraced. I mean, the letters, I would say that that allowed him to be, it continues to allow him to be seen. But it certainly didn't come across in a way that was a part of his early life. It had spiritual impact, continues to have spiritual impact, and will until the end of time. So there's a power in what God did in him, but it was completely different than his early life. And so when we start addressing issues that are a part of us, and we're looking and saying, but this has always been a part of me. And I don't even know how I would identify myself if this isn't part of my personality or temperament that comes out. What happens if, if it if seems boring in the moment? What happens if it seems unpleasant even? Will it possibly even destroy me? I mean, he's going to martyrdom. Jesus went to martyrdom. What if the Father calls us to that? And yet he has embraced this and said, making every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. What if I remain unseen, so to speak, through the rest of my life? What if he calls me not to be so pushy or aggressive? Or, or, or what if he calls me to become that way when I've really enjoyed being quiet? What if he calls me to step out into areas that I have no comfort in? And he's saying, boldness. <laughs> I'm declaring boldness over your life. No, you got the wrong person. You got the right person. You're going to respond or not? Those are the challenges that we can look at and are given opportunity in this writing even all these years later. So I put it out to you. Are you seeking to make every thought captive and obedient to Christ? And are you willing to let him take that where he will? The Apostle Paul said it's worth it. Jesus himself declared, that's what I do. Lord, help us to do the same. Why don't you stand with me? For some, it may mean handling relationships completely different than anything you've ever done. Or it may mean you know, that you're going to have to change your dating habits. But in Christ, 
what an incredible potential we have. May your name be honored and lifted up through our lives. We admit that we have not let every thought be held captive by you. Yet we recognize a value in it that exceeds anything we've ever done. And so we ask, Lord, take our thought life and make it obedient to you. He said that the value of knowing Christ is so precious to him that the rest of his life and all that he had beforehand was like a, a pile of dung. They wrestled with which word to use because that's about the cleanest way you can put that or least offensive. You know, so that's what we use here in church. Uh, he's just saying, you know, this pile of crap was my life in comparison to knowing God. And so in that, he's saying there is great value in stepping into this. I also will mention that one of the beauty of the things that even Sharon and I have been finding as I've been walking through this phrase is that some of the things that we've done together that have been kind of mutually dysfunctional, you know, we've, we've gotten through life, but it hasn't been the best path. He's bringing those out in the open and saying, I can show you a better way of doing this. And, you know, it's, it's very precious to come to that and say, well, it was, it was good before, but it's better now. You know, and what was okay improves because he has a, a, a concern and value for our lives that is awesome. So I just put that out to you and just say, where you head with this might be frightening territory. 
and, and there will be repetitive things. You know, last night was a big party night in town, right? You know, today we got to get back up and get going and, and do what's right. And to acknowledge and say, God, okay, I, I need you to take captive my thought today. And then move forward with this. I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you. Invite you to the meal downstairs. And then we'll continue in open-ended worship. Feel free to leave as you need to. Your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover the joy of doing your will. Letting their thought even be captivated by you. I pray, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that their deeds will be fitting with the workings of your kingdom. Enable them to carry out the supernatural. Be exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.